Well, I appreciate it if you've been praying for me. I've been uh, uh, trying to recover from wrist stuff that hasn't gone right, and I had surgery back in May, and and uh, supposed to fuse some bones together, and that didn't take. So three weeks ago, they did it again, and um, complications from that. Uh, so we've been kicking it down the, kicking this big announcement thing down the schedule here. Uh, and because I'm feeling like pretty good right now. But so I'm wearing this cool isotoner glove so that you don't have to see all of that and you can focus on what I'm telling you. But just to get the announcement out of the way, uh, because you've been hearing there's, we're going to have a big announcement. And those of you who didn't know that, yes, we're going to have a big announcement. We are going to be a Presbyterian church. <laughs> and there's like four of you who love that. No, we're going to be a Pentecostal church, and there's like eight of you who like that, right? And uh, no, uh, we actually are going to tell you the actual day and the hour of when Jesus is coming back. And so you may want to uh, manipulate your uh, portfolio, sell some stuff short or, or whatever to come out of that, <laughs> okay? Well, kind of this thing is taking on like a bigger gargantuan-sized thing, uh, and uh, uh, but I am excited about some things we want to tell you about the direction of the church and what God has been showing us and what we've been working on uh, and, uh, and the narrative around that. In order to do that, we got a specific word uh, that we were praying for and, and from God. And I want to share you the scripture that that comes from so that you can understand the context even of what we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, and more importantly, even then, uh, what, we're, what we want to move in going in the future, uh, what this word says to our own lives and the dreams that we have. And I hope that if you're in the orchard, I'm going to assume something. If you're in the orchard, I know we all have different personalities, but I'm going to assume that you're a dreamer, that you, uh, you have some things on your heart or your mind that you, you hope God does in your family, in your own life, in your community, wherever you're at. I hope you're a dreamer, and I think this could be really encouraging uh, to you. And if you're not, just ask him, and I'll bet he'll give you a dream of what could be. Because one thing about God is he is looking for his people to bring his kingdom wherever we go. And so uh, uh, I, we have some stuff to talk about with that. But let me bring you to Moses first. Okay, Moses, uh, I suppose you've heard of him, right? Yeah. You veterans have all got Moses dialed in, I'm sure. Uh, but as you know, Moses uh, uh, was the guy that God called to deliver uh, his people from the oppression, oppression and slavery that they were in uh, in Egypt. Uh, several hundred years earlier before Moses, uh, Egypt, or Israel had gone over, all God's people had ended up over in, in uh, Egypt because of a drought. There they were subjugated to incredible slavery. Much of what you see being, has been built uh, in you, when you go to Egypt, uh, pyramids and things like that. A lot of that was built by Hebrew slaves, God's people, who were enslaved to do that. And they cried out to God, uh, deliver us uh, from this. And he chose this guy, Moses. Moses, you may know, just to give you a little bit of background, Moses was a Hebrew kid whose mom was so... Uh, concerned that he would be persecuted uh, with the other children, that he, he, she sent him down the river to be found, in, uh, actually in a basket, right? Not like swimming. Uh, to be found by uh, the Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses ended up growing up in royalty. But then he started to see the oppression that uh, God's people were under, started to get to him. Matter of fact, he uh, acted out of, uh, uh, of 
revenge or, or uh, mercy or whatever it was. He saw some Israelites being um, abused by uh, one of their captors and killed him. Instead of getting busted for that, he went out into the desert. I'm just getting you where Moses is at. Gets you out, uh, out into the desert where he was a shepherd, uh, actually uh, uh, ended up with a family for 40 years, and then God shows up and says, I want you, Moses, to deliver my people and take them back to their homeland where they're from, what is theirs. And um, you got to understand, this is a massive, huge, huge uh, request that God has made to Moses. The Israelite nation has grown up to, two million, up to two million people now. So there's a lot of them. How am I going to do that? And God and Moses are having a conversation. And Moses says, who am I going to say said, told me to do this? And God says in Exodus 3, he says, uh, well, tell them I am sent you. Because you can't put anything after I am because uh, that would like qualify God. Tell them that I am sent you. Oh, okay. And then God tells him, you're going to go in front of the elders and, uh, and they're going to believe you and they're going to give you favor. And then you're going to go in front of Pharaoh and he's not going to believe you. But then through a bunch of miraculous stuff, he's going to let you go. And so that gets us up to where I wanted to show you and how this word that uh, God has given us uh, applies. In Exodus chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, there's one in your, your uh, chair there. And then up on the screen, uh, verse 1 Moses has just been told all this by God. And uh, <clears throat> Moses answered and says, What if they, whether it's the Israelites or the Egyptians, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? I, I like the fact that Moses is having a dialogue with God. And he's expressing his insecurities to God. Most of the time we think when we hear from God, we, uh, well, okay, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be obedient, yes, sir. And then uh, we think about it and go, oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? How will this work? Oh, oh, oh. Moses turns around and takes it right back to God. You might remember that sermon from uh, uh, July about wrestling with God. I see Moses wrestling here. I'm supposed to do that? I'm supposed to do what? Are you serious? There's two million? Do you, I know, fair, I mean, I can just see all the questions. But what the key is, he takes them to God. That's good news for us, by the way. And I don't know anybody who set out to do something for God where they didn't want to do the same thing. Am I going to get opposition? Are they gonna, did you really hear from God? You're going to do what, really? There's not a person who started a church who hasn't heard that. And I bet you've heard it too. If you step out and do anything, you're gonna, there'll be some opposition. And he knew there would be. So God... What am I going to do? And, and they're not even going to believe that I've heard from you. They're going to think I came up with this all myself. Then verse 2 says, <clears throat> uh, The Lord said to him, What is in your hand? Moses looks, says, A staff. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Now, first of all, I think that's kind of, this is starting to get kind of humorous. God of the universe telling you, here's the plan, and, uh, uh, and, and what's in your hand? Now, I got a staff. Throw it down. Boom, it turns into a snake. Kind of sounds like Morgan Freeman in those movies. And you know, ah, you know, and God's smiling as you're doing that. And uh, I would run from a snake too, actually, wouldn't you? I, that was not where I wanted this to go. And then God says to him, well, pick it up. It says, uh, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. 
I don't know about you, but when you're reading the Bible, I hope you read between the lines because there's a lot there between the lines that you can just surmise fairly easily. Do you think the dialogue went just like that? I mean, of course it went like that and a whole lot else. Are you kidding me? A snake? I'm not touching a snake. Well, if I told you to touch a snake and pick up a snake, are you good to go? There's a, there's a, there's a lot of drama and relationship going on that I think is pretty cool. Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and then the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Okay, so Moses has this question. What if they don't believe me? God does not answer his question. Matter of fact, I can't remember when God answered one of my questions. Um, have you asked God a lot of questions? He generally isn't trying to answer your questions. If you're paying attention, a lot of times he'll answer a question back. Oh, really? That's exactly what happens here with Moses. Hey, what is going to happen to me if they don't believe me? So God asks Moses a question and says, what is that in your hand? Now, I think this is super significant. Think about it for a second. Let the wheels turn. Mine it out a little bit. Get some gems out of what of, he, Moses says, a staff. What is in your hand? A staff. Think about that for a sec. First of all, he says, a staff. Not the staff, not my staff. A staff. It's just a simple tool that shepherds use to shepherd animals, to move them along and poke them along. I don't know if this is one he found, or I don't know if he got this at the staff store. Picked it out of the nice ones where it's got the right flex and everything like that. For, 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 I don't know. But it was a staff. A normal, ordinary staff. Key point. Nothing special about this staff. Just normal. What else do you notice? Well, you notice that God didn't put that staff there. I mean, that's why I think God asks him, what's in your hand? It's a dialogue. He goes, instead of going, hey, check out that staff in your hand, Moses. No, he says, Moses, what's in your hand? Because he wants Moses to think it through and to get the meaning of what it is. And Moses says, it's a staff that I've been carrying with me for weeks, months, I don't know, years. It's what I use. It's absolutely ordinary. And God didn't put it there. It was already there. I think that's key. So when God is going to do something, you, got, you, you ought to get a lesson from this about how God works. One of the things that I think God does is he doesn't ask you to go get something right or put something in your hand. He uses what you already have. What you thought was just normal part of life is something that he wants to use for his purposes. That's an incredible message. That's an incredible message that there's nothing special about that or even Moses, for that matter, it's the fact that God called it. It's when you release it that it changes. Matter of fact, this is never called a staff again. After this, when Moses releases it, turns into a snake, it's called the rod of the Lord, the staff of the Lord. He uses the ordinary to do something extraordinary. He uses the natural to do something supernatural. That's where it starts. So encouraging that that's where it starts. 
that you don't have to go figure it out and then, and then follow God. He asks you what you have in your hand right now. And he throws it down, and it turns into a snake. And that's kind of interesting. Some commentators think that that snake was a cobra, which would be significant because the symbol of Egypt is a cobra. And he has just been told that you will go and lead my people out of Egypt. I have power over the cobra. Here's a living symbol right here. And, and that staff will be completely different in the future. He will, he will throw that staff down in front of the elders of Israel and it will turn into a snake and they will believe, just like he said. And then he'll pick that staff back up and they will go to Pharaoh and they'll throw it down and he won't believe, just like he said. But then Moses will take that staff and incredible miracles and plagues are going to happen so that Pharaoh will turn and say, you can go. And then he's going to change his mind after 2 million people leave and are pinned down next to the sea and nowhere to go. And Moses is going to lift that staff. What was in his hand is now the staff. He will lift that staff and the waters will part. And they'll, and they'll cross on dry land. And then when he's done, he'll put that staff down and it will close. That's the staff he will use out when they're thirsty. They have nothing to drink. And he'll strike a rock at Horeb and water will come out and and the thirst of two million people will be taken care of. The key is that it was an ordinary, simple thing that was a part of his everyday life. And God asked him, what is in your hand? I don't believe that was an isolated question. Just for Moses. I think that he continues to ask that question of God's people, what is in your hand? Because if you will release what's in your hand, he will release what's in his hand. If you hold on, if you're tight-fisted to what's in your hand, I think it's hard for God to move with his hand. It's just a simple shepherd's tool. So the challenge is to take that word and recognize, whoa, God still asks the question, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? I want you to have that in your mind, this Moses thing, because we could recognize as we were praying that uh, this is straight what God was telling us uh, was this exact word. So last, bring up in the narrative, last um, end of uh, January, uh, Jesse, who uh, we uh, brought back two weeks ago and gave his testimony about uh, foster care. You remember, if you were there, uh, we could call it Jesse's Yes. Almost sounds like a book, like Jesse's Yes or something like that. Because God asked Jesse if he would take in a, a foster care kid, and they didn't even speak English. He didn't speak uh, Spanish, and the, and the fellow didn't speak English. And they were just, it was just like the hardest yes ever. And he said yes, and God blessed. And when people started to hear that story of, of being obedient, people started to go, I want a part of that. And Jesse's growth group, I want a part of that. Let's do that. Let's set up a 403C or whatever it is, uh, not in a retirement plan. Um, and, and let's do something with that. And it started to catalyze. And uh, actually, uh, Kathy Gregg, who is uh, uh, the head of our elder team, she's our key leader, point leader as an elder, which is the highest level of leadership uh, in the church. Um, when she speaks, listen to her, because she's really got wisdom. She said, I think God is doing something here, and I think there's something catalytic about it, and I think we should be praying about this, about what God would have us to do. And uh, uh, that was last February. And so we started praying. She, pray, she was praying, and she came back to, to me and said, I got a specific word. 
God gave me something specific, and I think it's for not just uh, this situation, but it's for the church. What's that? She goes, well, I heard God say, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? And she goes, I, I, and I know that, I believe that applies to foster care. And I go, uh, I know what's in our hand. Our land is in our hand. You know, one of the most rare things you have in this valley right now is land. We have eight acres of it, minus what this thing's on. And uh, there's land there and land there. And, and, uh, and, I, and, and I said, I think that would be our land. And she goes, I know it's our land too, yeah. We could use that. And I said, you know, can I tell you something? I've been praying uh, hard for the last two years about a really core and key problem that I'm asking God to solve here in this issue. It's, it's paramount to the fulfillment of our vision. And uh, I think the fact that um, uh, I've been thinking about our land for two years, and now that it's being catalyzed around this prayer, this word, um, I, I want to bring that forth because I think it's God. And she goes, what is it? And I go, well, I, I got to tell you that uh, I have been dreaming of providing uh, adequate housing for our staff team so that they can be completely focused on what God is calling them to do here. And uh, <laughs> I got more to say. Um, and she goes, well, let's pray about that. Yeah, let's look into that. And so we, we put some goals together and uh, uh, we had a, a goal of providing for widows and orphans. And in particular, we were looking at Jesse's ministry and that we would provide, this is how the goal reads, adequate housing so that our staff can feel planted in their career and their community and their calling here at the orchard. And so we took that to the elders and the elders prayed about it and said, we we think that's, we agree with that. Let's do work on that. And uh, Kathy said, I'll do that. When Kathy says something that she'll do, that's a good thing. And so uh, she put together a team of uh, a lot of us smart people in this room and, uh, uh, and started to develop, what could we do? What maybe would we do around that? And so uh, we've got Doug and Julie Pratt, they're landscape architects and uh, land planners, and they actually did the, the uh, PUD on this property originally, which was zoned for employee housing, which was interesting. Um, we uh, uh, talked with Travis Stewart, who also does affordable housing in the house right now, and, uh, yep, and uh, uh, had smart ideas about what the stuff might look like and how it might uh, be funded with Kurt uh, Schneider, who uh, understands mortgages, and with uh, Glenn Jamron, who obviously understands financing. We met with the city, and they're like, yeah! And uh, uh, we met with uh, Habitat for Humanity, who we may partner with, because they know how to do this kind of stuff. And so um, one thing we, we saw, that the timing coming around uh, foster care, uh, and uh, Jesse's life, he's, his business is thriving, and so uh, the timing for that may be further down the line but we're feeling the momentum going behind uh, what we could do for our staff. Uh, and I, and I, want, uh, I, I want to uh, have you um, hear from them. Usually when um, I have them speak, they're speaking something that I've given like an assignment. You know, speak the Bible, or uh, like our, Dan, our teaching pastor, or this program. But I wanted to have you hear their call. And, uh, and so you can see that we have something in our hand beyond just our land and why that's important. And then I'll say a few things 
uh, after that about what we're going to do. So Daniel, Stacy, come on up here if you would. Yeah. Our children's ministry pastor, Stacy Mays, and we've just she's just taken on outreach also, um, and so that's a big a big thing to do. And then we'll have Daniel. All right. Good morning. So um, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm not from here. <laughs> um, maybe you could tell from the way I talk. Um, not quite as bad as John Hammond's, right? Okay. Um, so I'm from Oklahoma, and we moved here with the intent of working uh, with a friend of ours that we went to high school with, my husband and I, um, in Aspen to help him grow his business. Um, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm actually going to scoot back a little bit and tell you what I did in Oklahoma. Um, I was teaching at a college in Oklahoma, and um, I really thought I'd retire there. I really did. Um, you know, great retirement if you're teaching college. And um, my, my children's pastor in Oklahoma called up and said, hey, I want you to come talk to me. Um, we want to create a position for you. We want you to be the associate children's pastor. And I said, okay, um, uh, pay cut. And I said, okay, God, if I'm really supposed to do this, when I talk to Lane about it, I need him to be on board. And I waited the day I was talking to him. I waited to the last possible minute to even talk to him. He was about to go to work. And I said, hey, honey, I got something to talk to you about. So Pastor Paul called, and um, they want to create a position for me, and they want me to go into the children's ministry at the church. And he said, well, it's about time. Okay, God, then that's what I'm supposed to do. So um, I did. I quit my job, went into children's ministry. Um, but I told my boss, the pastor, I said, hey, uh, I really want to live in Colorado. Like, we were supposed to be gone by now. And he said, that's okay. We will take you as long as we can have you. And I worked there for three years before we moved here. Now, when I moved here, I didn't have any intention of working at a church. I really didn't. That was not what I thought we were doing. I thought we were helping this friend of ours in Aspen. And um, the day we were leaving, one of my volunteers, he came up to me and he said, hey, God told me to tell you something. I don't know about you guys, but it always scares me when people tell me that. I'm like, okay. What did God tell you to tell me? And he said, God told me to tell you you're going to do great things in Colorado. I was like, yeah, I'm going to kick it with my four-year-old and work part-time. That's what I'm going to do. So we got here, and that, that wasn't cutting it. It wasn't cutting it at all. Um, I've shared with uh, you, you all in the past um, one of my favorite verses. I'm going to share another one. It's uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, and I'm going to paraphrase. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Instead, set an example for them in how you speak, how you live. Um, oh, my goodness gracious. Um, speak. I just, I just, oh, my goodness. I just lost my mind. Anyway, um, and how you live. There we go. How you live and how you believe, your faith. And I just want to tell you something. Um, these preschoolers up here, I'm surprised you couldn't hear them because they were singing My Lighthouse today. They sing it so loud, and they worship so crazy. They just love worshiping Jesus, and I take that to heart. It's a very um, joyous burden that I carry uh, to serve these kiddos and to help them develop an authentic relationship with Jesus. Um, I have a statistic for you because I am a numbers person. Um, I taught accounting. 85% um, of all human beings, that includes all of you. Did you know that? 85% of you came to know Christ 
before you are 14 years old. Here's another kicker. Another 10% of you came to know Christ between the ages of 14 and 18. So by the time you were an adult, your frontal lobe wasn't developed yet. You, you knew Jesus. And so that is a huge, huge blessing to be able to share that with these kids and help them to develop um, an authentic relationship with Jesus. And my, my goal and my challenge is to encourage you and inspire you to love these kids like Jesus loves them, like their parents love them, and to pour truth into them. Really fast, I got one more thing. Charlie just said um, that I am over outreach now. Um, it's wonderful when people come to the church, but it's even more wonderful when we can go outside of these walls and love on people the way Jesus loves on them and to show them that we are real and authentic and that we're not a bunch of weirdos that love Jesus. We're real people. All right, so um, my pastor in Oklahoma had a saying, um, you catch them, we'll clean them, and you can't catch them if you don't go where they're at. So um, I'm, I'm glad, I'm thrilled that I get the opportunity to do that. Thank you. Just to brag on Stacy, it was a month or so ago, we were at the, my parents' house, and Eli was coming down the stairs. He's five and a half. He jumped off a step higher than he'd ever jumped before into my arms. And I said, wow, buddy, knew I'd catch you. He goes, yeah, I'd, I had confidence. And I said, really? What is that? And he goes, it's trusting God with the future. I'm like, well, uh, where, where did you learn that? Pastor Stacy told me. I was like, wow, okay. So thank you for all the work you do. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I honestly, I got to be honest, uh, I'm rarely uncomfortable in front of people, but I, this is a humbling, this is a humbling day. Like, we were talking about building, we're going to build a house, get up there and talk about it. Okay, well, I'm a little humbled right now, but, but I, I want to, my wife and I, we, have, we live in Carbondale, we, we value living in the city where we serve and, we, in the, and with the people we love. And so we've chosen to live where we live, and every day for six years, we're talking about five years, um, when we go on a walk, we just pray, God. We pray you provide us a place to stay here in this town. What we're in right now is not long-term solution. We pray you would provide us something that we could just take that concern off the table. And so we've been praying for that and praying for that. And I want you to know from, from my heart, yeah, I, I, was, I was born and raised. I was raised in Redstone, born in Glenwood, graduated Rowing Fork High School, Ram Pride, yeah. Top of, my, top of my class of 10 or whatever. I don't know what it was back then. Um, I'm from this place. This place is in me. And no matter what we went through, and we talked about our story, we went through some hard times, didn't we? And the one thing that Amy and I knew was no matter what happens, God made it clear through that time of trial and kind of clarifying for both of us and all of us was that we are, we are called here. And not just to a location, but to a people. I have more friends, for the first time in my life as a pastor, I have more friends outside of the church than in the church, and I love that. I got a lot of people that I love on that, that the guy I was talking to last night, he's never been in a church in his life. And I hope you get to meet him. But, but, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm called here. And I feel God's called us to the orchard and to Carbondale and this region. Maybe not Aspen or Rifle, but everything in between, you know? It's okay. It's okay. Someone else is called the Rifle. God bless them. And so as much as I, we just feel we are called here and our roots are here and we want to stay here, I want to retire here. I want to minister here the rest. I want my kids to grow up here. 
But one thing that just captures me as I think about calling, because calling for me is always forward thinking. Like, I, I wake up in the morning with a sense of calling to this place, to these people, to you guys. But, I, but what I'm most excited about, and, and we're talking about all this stuff, and that's exciting and it's humbling to me, but what I am so looking forward to in the calling God has put within us is what he's going to do in this place and what he's going to do with, through us as a people that might not even be done in this room, that we as the church go beyond these walls and that we see lives transformed. We see marriages healed. We see kids whose parents come to Jesus and so they're parented differently and they have a different legacy than they ever would have had. And they come to this place and they learn about confidence and, and trusting God with their future and they learn about Jesus. Like when I think of calling and I think of what I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of this because this, we are just seeing the tip of what God's going to do in this place. And that little sliver excites me to no end. And so when we begin to see him move, we begin to see new people coming to Jesus and lives transformed and, and forgiveness happening and redemption happening and, and marriages healed and, and sicknesses healed and all, whatever God's going to do and all of it. Um, I want to be here I want to be here for the long haul, and it's our privilege um, to be called to a place like this. And so you asked me to talk about calling. I'll say this. Amy and I's heart is firmly rooted in this community with you guys, and we want to do everything we can to be a part of your life and to be a part of what God's going to do here. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. I'll do the preaching, okay? You got it, buddy. All right. Well, I want, first of all, I like catch and release. I think that works. But uh, I wanted you to see their heart. And I wanted to see that, in fact, uh, what we have in our hand is, a, is like a dream team. When you're a pastor and you're, you're over years, you're hoping that you can get and coalesce a staff where something can really happen. And uh, I can tell you that it's like a dream right now. Of, of who we have. But I got to also tell you that when you're living in 700 square foot, two bedroom apartment with uh, kids that are getting larger, like a teenage son and a five year old daughter that share the same room, and kids that are getting older, uh, and you know what you're thinking? You're trying as hard as you can to think about what God's given you to do, but you're thinking about what, how is this going to work out? We have seen people in this church come through here in and out, in and out, because they can't find a place to live. Everybody recognizes this. Uh, every, I mean, the school district has just put up houses over here because you know they can't keep teachers. The banks are, uh, uh, have, have bought housing. Skiko has put up housing. And they're trying to keep young professionals here so that you can have some longevity. I have to tell you that ministry takes a while. It's not the same as a year and then you take a summer off and then you do another. It takes a while to develop this and to have momentum. And if all you can think about is what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? You can't do all that God's called you to do. Now, not that you guys are old, but you are not young professionals. How would you like to be in your 40s with young kids and you're trying to figure out how this is going to work out? And I got to tell you that God showed me that these guys are in our hand. It's not a matter of providing uh, uh, free housing. It's, we're, what we want to do is provide adequate housing. 
where you can be focused on what God's called. We can be planted in your community and in your career. Adequate housing, like a 3-2 or something like that, you know? And, um, uh, and so uh, I, I, have, I, I, I think sometimes we even take advantage. This is what we do in churchianity. We take advantage of people's call. Well, you're called by God, so you suck it up and do it. But I would like to create a legacy. I would like to create a legacy here at this church where we can have great pastors even after these guys are retired and gone. It's never been affordable here. It's not just now. I was just talking to a lady who came here in the 70s. I couldn't get a place in the 70s. It's not going to be affordable 20 years from now. So when Kathy Gregg put together that team and we thought we'd talk about what we might build out there and what we might do and... uh, um, and as, as we've talked about that, you know, we got this, this all got hyped up about this announcement. I was a little bit afraid that we had hyped it up too much and we're talking about employee housing. And as I prayed about that, I felt like God told me, you haven't hyped it up enough because I'm not talking about providing housing for two people. I'm talking about leveraging what God has given us to see the vision happen in this community and what will happen as a result. We believe in transformed lives and a transformed community. And I believe through uh, the springboard of your ministry, we will see thousands of people come to a transforming relationship with Jesus. And I also believe that we start to dream about what can happen in this valley. You got to understand if you're at the orchard, you're at a special place because this place is called to make a change. We've been sitting for a long time. Yeah, I could tell that what God was doing is he wasn't just saying, hey, now's the opportunity to solve a problem. What he was saying was, I'm, I'm going to use this as a catalyst and a springboard. Maybe we're going to solve really big problems. Immigration, living wage, health care, housing. Those are the big ones right here in this. Maybe we'll be a part of that and partnering with other organizations. Maybe we'll start to dream and we'll go to the, uh, I love this thought. I just love this thought. This would be so fun. To go to the municipalities or the school and say, what didn't you do this year that you needed to do? And they say, we would have done an after-school program, but we couldn't afford it. Let's, we'll do that for you. Or uh, we meant to do a park here, but we couldn't get it done. We'll do that for you. Wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be a hoot? To be that kind of, oh, that'd be so fun. And all God does, this is what's really cool about it. I mean, I I think the word is for everybody, by the way. What is in your hand? It's just what is in your hand. I think it's so great that he's not asking you for something that's not in your hand. He's not asking you for what you don't have. He's asking you for what you do have. Some of you have talent, expertise. You know how to do this stuff. And I don't even know what this stuff is. We got smart people figuring that out. Some of you have time. That's what's in your hand. Some of you have resources and treasure. And that's what's in your hand. All he's asking for is what's in your hand. And I think it's a word for the whole church. And that while, yes, we want to provide adequate housing for our pastoral staff so that we can uh, see our vision take off, God is going to use this for more than just that. It's going to be a testimony uh, throughout the valley, and people are going to have hope that maybe these people will love me and help me in a tangible way. I just feel the rising up of that in this thing. 
And so that's the announcement. And I realized something. You know, well, uh, uh, you might leave out of here and go, oh, they're talking about housing. Um, no, you know, I, don't think, I think it's hard for God to ask you what's in your hand on a big thing if you haven't been living open-handed on a daily basis about whatever's in your hand now, today. Because you know, God is asking that question all the time. What is in your hand today? What, 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 what could you do today? Yeah, and if you follow that, then when he asks you a bigger one, you go, because oh, there's actually more in your hand than you realize you're able to give it and you drop it down. Because whatever you release from your hand, he'll release from his hand. That's a very powerful thought. I just experienced this last week. So I was, uh, <clears throat> actually I was madder than heck. Um, I get kind of that way. That's just how I roll. And I, oh man, some churchianity stuff in a, uh, not this church, but it was affecting some of, uh, some of us. And I just want to go, mm. Take, you know, it's a holy kick some stuff. And so I'm driving down the road, getting madder than heck about this, about ready to hit send. Don't ever do that. <clears throat> but you're not supposed to text while you're driving, so uh, I'm going to have to stop in order to, before I go, you know, to let those, these people know what I think of them. And I pull in to the gas station down at the roundabout on the new bridge, okay? My son's running up the, the canyon, so I was going to go pick him up there, uh, way up the canyon, and I was going to get some gas before I did. So I pull in to pump three there at the come and go, and <clears throat> uh, I put my card in. It's approved, by the way. And it won't go to zero, so I can't pump. So then I do it again, and, I, and then I do it again, and I'm getting madder. The guy inside just needs to hit the thing so I can do it. And now I'm going to go in and give him all every, uh, every bit of madness I got and all the other people that made me mad to get that thing to zero. So I take my card and I go inside and I get in line and there's a lady in front of me. This is how it works, right? Uh, there's a lady in front of me. She's probably 30 to 35, but looks like she's had a tough go. Could be 50, I don't know. Looks like she was sort of uh, had a rough go. And so she in front of me, tells the guy, I'd like $10 on pump five. And I hear, clear as day. Do something. And so, like I usually do, I don't do anything because I'm too mad. And I tell the guy, Put, turn it to zero, will you? And then I go outside and start pumping my gas. And uh, she's in the pump next to me and she finishes pumping and I hear, clear as day. Do something okay, I'll do something. So I don't know what, I don't know what it is going to be, but we'll see how this rolls. And uh, what do I got in my, <laughs> what do I have in my hand, you know? And I, I walk over to this uh, gal and I say, now, this is a crazy question. I don't mean to be offensive, uh, but can I ask you a personal question? You don't even have to answer, but, and I didn't give her a choice. I just said, so did that $10 fill up your tank? And she, she laughed, no. She's look, you know. And I said, well, I'm learning that when I hear to do something, I should just do it. And I'm hearing that I ought to fill up your tank. And uh, she goes, no. She was driving an F-150 pickup and this big truck. And she goes, do you know how much gas this thing takes? And I went and pointed out my F-150 pickup and said, yeah, I do. I, I do know. Uh, I said, look, you don't have to tell me your name. Uh, we don't have to have a conversation. 
Uh, you don't owe me anything, but I, I want to fill up your tank. Let me put my card in. And, uh, and she goes, no. And I go, if you don't let me fill up your tank, somebody else is going to drive in afterwards and get the gas that you would have gotten. Because I slid it in there and pulled it out. All I ask of you is that you give me the receipt when you're done. <sighs> okay. So I went back and started pumping my gas and washing my windshield. And, and uh, I turned to go inside to get a drink of unusual size. And she uh, comes up to me and says, uh, Sir, here's the receipt. Thank you so much. And I, I said, Hey, look, I, uh, it's very simple kind of just about loving God and loving people, and sometimes you have to do that tangibly, and so it's my honor to get to do that for you. And I took the receipt, and I went inside, and I, and I went inside, and I go, wow, what's supposed to happen now, God? Um, uh, I get my drink, and I'm just sitting there looking out the window, and she's just sitting in the car, staring out uh, kind of into space. And I go, should I go out there, Lord? Am I supposed to lead her to Jesus, and then go down to the river and baptize her, and you know? <laughs> Is that what I'm supposed to do? Because uh, I think like, you know, maybe that's it. Stay here. Stay here. Stay here. And so uh, it seemed like a long time. Like, like I was there like 12 or 15 minutes. And she just sat there looking out. And what's going on here, Lord? And he said, I want her to know that I have her back. I want her to know that I have her back. And then she drove off. And I went back out to my car and uh, my truck, and I got in my truck, and I went, well, Lord, thank you. And I just get this impression, are you still angry? Not at all. Lord, thank you for asking me, do something. What's in your hand? It's the same question, do something. He totally reworked my heart. I don't even care about that stuff anymore. Let me find somewhere else that uh, I can do something else, because this is the fun stuff. I think, I think that's what it is. I think it's every day. Lord, what is in your hand? What can you do? What do you have? I'm not asking for what you don't have. I'm not asking you to go get something. I'm not asking you to act like you have something. I'm not, I, just want, I just want what you have. Because when you drop what you have, he'll pick up what he has. And do something that out of a, something that was just natural, he turns something into supernatural. Something that was just ordinary becomes extraordinary. I got a little treasure in that gas tank, and I've been praying for that lady for a couple weeks now. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully she knows more and more that God has her back. And so there are the big things where he says, what is in your hand? Like building housing. And we, we're, that's a couple years out. We're going to put in, uh, something I wanted to say that I forgot. We're going to put in next year in 2019 budget uh, a program so that we can get these guys into adequate housing before we figure out what that's all going to be uh, and everything like that. But, and that's going to require more money and that's what we're going to do. Because God isn't asking us where are you going to get the money? He's asking you what's in your hand. So we'll do that, and uh, smart people will come alongside us and figure out the money side of that, and, uh, and God will do it. But he's asking us what is in your hand every single day. That's why I wanted you to get that word, not just this announcement. I wanted you to get that word that as you move about your day, I just absolutely guarantee you this week he's going to ask you that question in a situation you're in. And all you're going to do is drop it, and he will pick it up and do something great out of it. Out of just ordinary people with ordinary stuff. And that'll be the coolest thing ever. That'll be the coolest thing ever. So as you take communion today, right? 
You're going to hold the bread and the cup in your hand. And you need to have a realization that he was cast down for you so that you could be raised up. And he asked the question to you, what is in your hand? Let's pray. Lord, you have freedom to ask us the question and we, uh, we want to drop whatever we're clinging onto and clinching and be open-handed with you. And so as we take communion together, we pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name.